later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be the special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. When the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then with the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. If you'd been passing by the church last night at about 10.30 or thereabouts, you'd have seen an interesting sight. Earlier in the evening, we'd had a a wonderful Monday Thursday meal and communion here in the church hall. We'd eaten together. We'd taken bread and wine to remind us of Jesus on his way to the cross. And now after everybody had gone and the clear-up was done, David and I went out to the, the front of the church ready to hang the red drape on the cross that you see outside the front door. Maybe you noticed it on your way in. Just as we were about to set about that simple task, about half a dozen teenagers, clearly out for a night with bottles in their hand, came across the road and shouted, Hey, mister, what are you doing? I'm not quite sure why, but I, I responded and said, What do you think I'm doing? And then I thought, well, why don't we go with this? Why do you think I'm hanging a red drape on a cross on the the evening before Good Friday? It started a 15-minute conversation, a remarkable conversation. We talked about Jesus, about his suffering, his death and his resurrection. We talked about why he died. And we talked about his incredible love for us. And we said that Jesus welcomes anyone, whether they're rich or poor, whether they drink or whether they don't drink. Jesus welcomes anyone to be his follower and his friend. It was a very unexpected but a wonderful end to a blessed evening. I need to tell you something about that interaction that I've just described. As I saw the kids coming across the road, and as I heard that voice shouting out, Hey, mister, 
I feared the worst. I thought, oh no, this is going to be embarrassing. These kids are going to give us all sorts of abuse. They're going to make fun of us right here on the Newtonards Road for the passing world to see. These kids won't get Jesus and they certainly won't get the cross. This is going to be embarrassing. It's easy, isn't it, to be embarrassed at times by Jesus? And I would suggest that even if we can cope with sharing Jesus in a general way, this particular focus of his, of his death, it's easy to be embarrassed about these things. Jesus and his death on a cross. The church of our day is given to seeker sensitivity. We want our churches to be welcoming and inclusive of anybody who arrives. So we, we strip our church of anything that might put people off. And a great danger lies here. There's a great temptation that we leave out some of the hard stuff to allow us to draw a bigger crowd. Shane Claiborne talks of a time when he was visiting an American megachurch, the very one that coined the phrase seeker-sensitive. And he asked someone why there were no crosses in the sanctuary of the church or anywhere on the, the very large campus. He was told, we try to be seeker-sensitive and the cross isn't seeker-sensitive. Folks, that's just it, isn't it? The cross, it's not cool. It's not attractive. Frankly, it's a bit of an embarrassment. That is, if we're still trying to, to have influence and favor in the world that we live in. In chapter 6 of his letter to the Galatians, Paul shows us that when it's a choice between being seeker-sensitive and the cross of Jesus Christ, there's only ever one winner. He says in verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to a bunch of young Christians there in Galatia. They're under pressure to keep the faith or make it seeker-sensitive, to be sure that they don't defend anyone that the church and its message will always be respectable. But we're not respectable, Paul says. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing respectable about Christian faith, says Paul. Our boast is in the cross, the ultimate symbol of shame. With about 2,000 years now of religious art to inoculate us against the reality of the cross, we've lost that sense of, of its shame. Josephus described it as the most miserable of deaths, the worst extreme of the tortures inflicted upon slaves, an accursed thing and a plague. In Jewish thought, the cross was associated with a curse, the curse of God. 
So Paul says in, earlier in Galatians that everyone hung on a tree that is crucified is cursed. That was the, the Roman way to humiliate your enemies, to crucify them. Different cultures have different ways of humiliating their traitors and their enemies. In the 80s and 90s in South Africa, necklace killings were common. If someone was found to have been collaborating with the white supremacists, the mob would take them, hang a tire around their neck, fill it with petrol and light it. It was no doubt an agonizing way to die, but it was also doused in shame. Closer to home here in Ulster, we had our equivalent ritual of humiliation, the tarring and feathering that the paramilitaries used. A traitor would be covered in boiling tar. While the crowd looked on, they'd be covered in in feathers just to humiliate them. And then they'd often have a sign put around their neck to say what their crime against their community was. When Paul says that he'll only ever boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's taking that moment, that moment of Jesus' shameful humiliation, and he's saying this is the best moment of all. This is the moment that I'm going to boast in. This is the tarring and feathering, the necklace killing, and this, he says, is the glory of Christian faith. We boast in our weakness and everything about us that is unrespectable. Folks, when we can learn to do this, when we can learn to embrace the death of Jesus on the cross as not the low point, not the embarrassing moment to gloss over, but the high point, the moment when God most truly demonstrated who he was and who we are. If we can do that, we'll be finally free. If we identify ourselves with Christ in his weakness, then the community will shun us in just the same way that it shunned him. But when it does that, it will have no more power over us we will no longer fear what men and women think of us. We will, in Paul's words, have died to the world. We won't care anymore what the world thinks of us. We're finally free, free to be ourselves and Christ's people in the world. All that counts now, says Paul, is the new creation. Those teenagers coming across the road towards us last night momentarily struck fear into my heart. I must say they did. But in the end, I want to tell you that I'm glad to be identified with the cross of Jesus Christ. I count it a huge privilege to go year after year and to hang those drapes on that cross to tell in a simple but profound way the message of Jesus who suffered, died, and rose again. 
this message of incredible love. This message of grace and forgiveness to all who'll receive it. Folks, the cross isn't seeker-sensitive. It's not something that makes people comfortable. But it's the absolute cornerstone of everything that we believe. In one moment after one last reading, we're going to sing our closing hymn. And in the chorus, we'll remember why the cross of Jesus Christ means so much to us. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Folks, don't misunderstand me this evening. I hope that our church will always be wonderfully sensitive to people who are seeking the living God. But I trust that we'll never forget where he is found, nailed to a cross. And so with the Apostle Paul, we reaffirm our faith this evening. We say, may we never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join with me? as we pray together. Let's pray.